your host of The Cell. I invite you to listen to our program every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. I would also like to thank you for listening to Community Radio on WGRN LP 94.1 FM, Columbus. I'd like to welcome our listeners back. I hope everyone is staying safe during this pandemic. We have been recording from home, so please forgive us if you happen to hear some noise and stuff in the background. We'll do our best to keep that down. Our guest tonight is Jerry Saunders, Sr. He is Chief Executive Officer of Africa-Centered Personal Development Shop. Hello, Jerry. Hello, good evening. I have hosting with me tonight, Mr. Ernest. Hello, everybody. And I also happen to have with me Tish. Uh, and then I have Miss Stephanie. Stephanie, this is first time joining us on the show, so I like everybody to welcome Miss Stephanie with us. Hello, hey, Stephanie. Hello, everybody. Good evening. <laughs> Happy to be here. So, Jerry, you are with the Afrocentric Personal Development Shop, which is called APDS, and yes. you provide a service to the community in your area. First, I'd like for you to talk about yourself a little bit and how the Afrocentric Personal Development Shop came about, because I do feel that some of the services that you provided there is great. Uh, so, Jerry, could you tell us about yourself, please, and how uh, the organization got started? I sure will. I'll be happy to do so. Thanks again for having me on the, on the show. Uh, to start off with, I'll just talk a little bit about myself, because when I was young, my parents actually raised me to do community service. We did a lot of volunteering back then at that time. My father was a minister. My mother worked closely with the church, so they had us all doing a lot of volunteering at a very early age in life, and I really did. Uh, I just took to it then, doing community service. And so um, fast forward, when I got out of uh, college, I played a little basketball, semi-pro, and then went into the corporate community and um, did that for seven years and decided that I needed to get more involved back in community service. So I was volunteering at the uh, what we call back then the East Side Wild on Woodland Avenue, and a position opened up, and so I got involved back in community service and became the executive director over there for 10 years. And then the founder of APDS, the Afrocentric Personal Development Shop, Dr. Marie Kelsey, was a member over at the Y. And he started talking to me about he wanted to retire and if I would be interested in um, the position here at APDS. And initially I was saying, no, I didn't want to do that. I didn't have a, a background in psychology. Um, but he kept telling me, you got a background in people and we need somebody to run the organization 501c3. He uh, was a professor up at Ohio State and had his own private practice. And his wife, Dr. Barbara Kelsey, was a counselor uh, with uh, Columbus Public Schools. And they were retiring and decided, you know, years ago in 1988, on July the 4th, that they wanted to start an agency that focused on providing services to African-Americans. And at that time, and we still do, we still do have the, the basis for psychology with Sigmund Freud. And they were just feeling like that just was passe at the time and they wanted to do something that was more culturally relevant. So they started off working with four families and after about seven or eight years, it just had grown to the point where it was no longer a small operation and he could not run it out of his private practice. And so I decided to come on board then and we purchased this building over here on Livingston Avenue and just started building. That was 23 years ago. So we've been around 31 years and now 32 years. And I really enjoy what we are doing. And let me tell everybody what we do. We're a behavior health care center 
And our primary scope of service is treatment for substance use disorders. Most people, alcohol and other drugs is called. And then domestic violence uh, counseling for male batterers. And we did that because Dr. Kelsey and Mama Kelsey, I call her Mama Kelsey, but both are Dr. Kelsey, they um, were focusing on uh, family development. And as I got involved and was learning the business, I saw quite a bit of domestic violence going on. So we decided to add that to our program 19 years ago. And we've been doing that since then and working closely with the Franklin County Municipal Court. So we we take on two major issues in our community, and that's substance abuse and uh, domestic violence. And we address those focused on uh, helping to make the family healthier and safer not in a punitive way, but in a way of building community, building family to build community. And so that has been our focus there. We are a little over a million dollars per year on the budget. We have um, 13 full-time staff members, and then we bring on an additional 12 during the summertime because every summer we try to bring 120 kids from around the city of Columbus or Franklin County together for nine weeks, and that's at a day camp. And they're 6 to 12 years of age, boys and girls. And our intent is to work with those young folks so that they won't need our services when they become teenagers and adults. And that's our prevention portion of the program. I need to sidestep here a little bit. What did you play? You said you played some pro ball or? Yeah, I had tryouts with Phoenix and Boston and did not make those teams and played uh, semi-pro with the Las Vegas Dealers. I'm okay. a graduate of Oberlin College, so that's not really a sports school. That's academic. Uh, but I who played professionally. And I just picked up some skills and had an opportunity to try out, so I, I did so. Yeah, that's pretty extensive resume. How often do the do your board meet? I noticed you got a lot of heavy hitters on that board. Every other month, and they are how long? Awesome. And that, now let me say this: that's the general meeting, but we do work in between those meetings. The different committees, in particular, the finance committee meets often. And then, like, our program committee will meet tomorrow, and we the program committee meets at quarterly. And I wanted to know, you got a lot of programs, but what caught my interest right off was the scholarship, the Mama Kim. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Uh, when I started, Mama Kim, and her, her name, her American name is uh, Millicent Dixon, but she went and uh, she was a retired nurse, brilliant woman. She left and went and lived in Kenya for a few years. And there, she just was learning learning the culture, which she claimed was her culture as opposed to the American culture. And there, when you have a child, the mother takes on the name of that first child. And so her first child's name was Kim. So she became Mama Kim. And so she she came back here to United States, and she was here when I first started. And I... and. Um, to tell you a little story about her, at the time when I started, we had three psychologists here and, and brilliant guys, and not to put anybody down, but they would usually talk to you <laughs> for about an hour. Mama Kim could talk to you in five minutes and get you straight. You know, that's all. It didn't take her long to get you together. Five minutes, she didn't hit it. Bam, 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 she got you together. Well, anyway, she had told me one day, uh, Jerry, you know, she was um, – appreciative of the work we were doing because we kind of, we were really moving quickly at that time. We were small and, and growing quickly. And she said she was appreciative of the work and that she wanted to donate uh, 5000 And I was like, wow. You know, she was uh, retired, uh, elderly. And I said, okay. And um, <laughs> so 
you know, it went along. She told me when she was going to do it, maybe like a two, a month and a half, two months later, she was going to do it for tax purposes too. And so when it came down to about three days before or four days before, I don't remember the exact days, but right up to the time she called me and said, I'm going to make that $10,000. And I said, wow. Okay. And then wow. the day that she was pulling her money to invest in us, she gave us $25,000. And that was a blessing. And so she yeah. was big on education, and we needed some of it for operations. So what we did was took the fifteen grand and used that for operations and took ten grand and put in the Columbus Foundation and set that there for scholarship funds. And then we just, they did a great job investing it. We continued to contribute to it. And what we did was said each year we would do a thousand dollar scholarship, one for a male, one for a female, um, for college. And we are this will be our twenty first year this year doing that. And uh, Mama wow. Kim passed away about five years ago, but uh, oh. we did that because I knew that if we would have took the twenty five thousand, we would have spent it, and it would have been spent well. But the scholarship gave her a legacy. And um, she was big as a nurse. As a matter of fact, uh, Kim, her daughter, is an MD up in Chicago. And so she was just big on education, uh, brilliant woman. And so uh, that's the Mama Kim Scholarship Fund. And so we, every year now, we've been working with the Greater Columbus Community uh, Helping Hands Program because they usually provide scholarships for like 70, 80 kids every year. So what we do is take and provide the $2,000 plus some additional dollars to them to support their program. And they provide two Mama Kim scholarships to some of their, to the students that go through the program. Yeah, Mama Kim, she told me one time, she said, real nice and easy, you know, didn't talk. She said, you know, you got this name, Afrocentric Personal Development Shop. But, you know, Jerry, I don't see any Africans walking up and down these halls. I said, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I had to think about that. You know, it took me a few weeks, but I came back and said, my genes are from Africa. So, you know, <laughs> it took me a little while, but that was, that was a good, you know, point there. Because in reality, a lot of times we talk about us as uh, African-Americans being really Afrocentric, but we don't make that connection. They're like folks back home with the homeland, which we it is a connection, a major connection, but we don't always have that major connection. And what she was pointing out to me is that we get this education and learn um, black history and all, but is it really black history? And why don't we connect with people from the continent and have them involved in terms of teaching us because after all they've been around longer than anybody has been in this world and so when you think about that you start going whoa that's a lot of history there but yeah. for most of us we have operated based on what we have gotten here in this country and so we'll say it's 2021 when it's actually we don't even know how old it is but it definitely we've been around a lot longer in the 2021 so you, years. So how did you address I'm, it? I've hired over and over again. Yeah, I did that, definitely. I always did, use it pretty any, much everything. I always try to do what she said because she always gave me great advice. Always gave me great she, advice. And that did make a difference. Did she speak our native language? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She spoke that, yeah. 
And then we had Dr. Dale Tungaraza, who uh, is from Kenya to, uh, I'm from Tanzania, rather, excuse me, to teach Kiswahili here for years. Wow. Um, that's, yeah. So we did do that. Uh, and she taught Swahili. I did learn it. But if you don't use it, you lose it. And um, <laughs> that is the case. But I, I, I have to tell you this because this is funny. I see we got a little laughter, but, you know, domestic violence and substance use disorder is very serious. But it's funny. One of the guys who I did hire, and I'm not going to call any names out, On we used to be open f- six days a week. And so on Saturday, one of the lead administrators would be in charge that day. Uh, and during the wintertime, that person uh, usually has to assign someone to shovel the snow or they shovel the snow before we open up. If it's ladies here, the guy would shovel the snow, not being male chauvinistic or just being a gentleman. So anyway, I get a call from one of our lead counselors saying that this person did not shovel the snow for our clients coming that day. So I call them and they explained to me that with them being from Africa, they wasn't that familiar about the snow. And uh, uh, I said, brother, your PhD, and I'm not going to tell you where it's from, but your PhD is somewhere here in the United States where it is snow. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so get out there and get that snow shovel. <laughs> he tried to pull the African card on me, like, people from Africa. No, come on. I didn't been to Africa. I'm telling you. That just didn't, didn't work out. And, you know, I mean, it was just too funny. It wasn't funny at the time. Because, uh, you know, it was a lot of snow down, and he just was like, he wasn't feeling it. And uh, we don't have a snowblower, right? So <laughs> he wasn't feeling it. But anyway, that's, that's I, I always think about that. This guy is coming from, like, I mean, where we get a lot of snow at in this country. And he tried to act like he wasn't familiar with snow. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> If you guys excuse me for a minute, we need to take an identification break. Hi, this is Ernest Kelly with the Faith Thomas Foundation. You're listening to The Cell on 94.1 FM, WGRN, and WGRN.org worldwide. Listen to us every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Now, on the serious side about that, sometimes we're, as we will think that people from other countries do not know a whole lot, and they do know a whole lot, Mm -hmm. and then... So mm-hmm. I, I constantly will ask someone, where are they from? And when they say Africa, I go, no, nah, brother, no, nah, sister, where are you from? Uh, and then they will tell me because they understand that I understand that it's not just Africa. There's different countries and cities and all. And so mm-hmm. we don't always think about that. But, you know, if somebody asks you where you're from here in the United States, you are not going to say United States. You're going to say Atlanta, Columbus, right. Cleveland. L.A., you know, you're going to pick out an area that you're from. But I think sometimes they, it's done because they feel like we just don't know. And then they, and they're right. We just don't know. So we just go Africa when there's so many different cultures and languages. And it's just rich and just beautiful. And it is just amazing. And I, I went uh, in 2001, and I was definitely reborn. I definitely was reborn from that experience. No, thanks. My question is kind of like twofold. Since we're in the age of COVID, how have you had to adjust your program, and have you seen an increase in domestic abuse? Um, 
to start off, first off with the second question about the domestic abuse. Abuse uh, in uh, May, uh, those numbers I got then at that time, we had went from in the city of Columbus making 13 runs to 31 runs in one day. Uh, so that obviously was an wow. increase, not just for that one day, but that was the trend that was going on. Um, oh. In terms of how we've had dealt with COVID, um, we um, are an essential organization, so we stayed open. We've stayed open all the way through and have been quarantined as an organization for two weeks, 14 days, uh, and that was about three, about four weeks ago. Otherwise, we've been open. We've taken all precautions. We have what you call a uh, temperature verification uh, station at the front and back of our building. So when you come in and when, when you leave, we are taking temperature. It's one that you can just put your face down to it, and it'll give you a temperature. If you don't have your mask on, it will alarm. You know, alarm will go off. Dee, 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 dee. Or if your temperature is over 99.1, we do cleaning on a regular basis all through the day cleaning, desanitizing, disinfecting. Once a week on the weekend, we have the person uh, company come in uh, and they do uh, a call morally excellent. They come in and they do the spray. They do, they, they disinfect with the spray through the whole building. And so we do that weekly and that is just part of our norm now. And of course we have the hand sanitizers all over the place and Lysol spray all those things. Our groups that normally would be anywhere from um, uh, 12 to 15 people uh, is at, uh, we only allow 10 in the room at a time. So that means that the group could be nine people or could be eight. If we have one facilitator, it'd be nine. It would be nine clients. If we have to have an interpreter, which we do have a lot of folks from Africa and Hispanic, Spanish-speaking folks. So if we had to have an interpreter in there, then we'll have eight people in the class, which made us increase the amount of classes that we've had, uh, that we have because of the uh, smaller number that can be in the class. And, and that's been great, you know, because the persons get more attention then and uh, get more time to speak and to process their thoughts and what's going on in their life. So that has worked to our benefit, and we just feel like it is the norm. We purchased, um, we we keep the latest in our technology because we have the electronic health records, but we had the desktops and a few laptops, and so we went and purchased nine ta tablets uh, so that our clinicians can work from home in case, like what happened the other few weeks ago, we have to quarantine so we work from home so we can still stay in touch with our clients. So we maintained that touch in touch with our clients the whole time. There was a period from um, March the 18th to like, I uh, can't remember the exact date, sometime in July, that we didn't do any groups at all. We just did individual sessions in person or uh, online. And we've added Microsoft Teams, so most of our meetings are of Microsoft. And it's just the norm now for us. I think it will be like that for a while. And we've seen the benefits for a number of our clients because they don't have to drive, you know, for an individual session. They just get on their phone or on their computer and we can uh, and, and can engage in a counseling session. That yeah. answer your questions. I, I, I know I was short on domestic violence, but I don't know what else to tell you because, like, the numbers speak for themselves from 2019 to 
20, uh, let's see, what was that, 2018, I believe? I'm not, I'm not sure which, but I know that we increased considerably in domestic violence in the calls and all, and I, I tracked those. So the last ones that I can think off the top of my head in terms of big numbers was 2018 in uh, Franklin County, where we got over 8,000 calls, and we had ended up with... Um, 3,000 and something, like 3,544 actual uh, domestic violence charges, which means like about 5,000 of those was no charges. And I used to, I was concerned, thinking, okay, well, they charged him something else. But I can't remember the exact number, but it wasn't over 500 that those other charges were. So that means that there's a lot of calls that are made and end up not being any charges uh, filed. And and while that could be actually true, I do not know. I wasn't at each case, but those numbers are suspicious to me. And and I can speak on that further. When I say suspicious, I just think that a lot of it is driven by uh, male privilege. And uh, what I mean by that is people thinking that, you know, it's okay for uh, men to have those rights to be aggressive towards the women, which is totally wrong. And it's that way, not only with uh, in marriage, a lot of times in the criminal justice system, the court system, the lawyers, all of that follows through. And I would surmise that if it was women beating up men, it would be a lot different right now. The laws would be a lot different. Jerry, how do you, when you said you guys make runs, who, who contact you, uh, your organization to come and uh, get involved? How, what, what's that process? Oh, do you like? mean the run? No, when I was saying runs, I'm talking about the police making runs, sheriff department. They track all those calls, urgent calls, like the state of Ohio tracks them, and then they break them down by the counties. But when how okay. do we get involved? We get involved because usually the court refers them here. We work closely with Franklin County Municipal Court, and they gotcha. refer the guys gotcha. here for services. Yeah, and people walk in. You can come in and get the services, too. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, marriage counseling, they'll send people here uh, and people come in on their own, too. They just know they need okay. that help. And uh, and you'd be surprised. I mean, it can it goes it gets passed down generation to generation. And and it takes a minute for some people to realize, hey, no, you don't have that privilege. You, you know, that because they've seen it all their lives. They saw it in their house and they've seen it in other folks house. And that is changing now because, um, you know, women are just saying enough of that. You know, and so that is uh, definitely changing. Like when you look at suicide, murder, suicide, you know, 72 percent of those folks that it's intimate partners they, that happen on auto suicide. You know, it's just it's suicide, homicide. I'm talking about now, not just regular yeah, suicide. suicide. Now, mm -hmm. We just had one here what, a few days ago, last Thursday, uh, up at Hoover Grig. Yeah. You know, murder, suicide. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, and uh, we've had, we've had, we've experienced it here with our clients, our former clients, and yeah, it's a uh, domestic violence, is real serious. Now, I can tell you, when we got involved uh, back then, I was telling you guys earlier, I was, I was single and learning the business, so I'd be here late at night by myself, going through the files, seeing all of that. And when I went to check on it, uh, back at that time, uh, you know, it was listed that black folks were like. I forget 12% of the population, you know, we, we still stay 12 to 20% of the population of 12 in general. When we, you know, I know when I came up, all my friends, it was like five to eight people in the family, not 2.5, mm -hmm. you know, 
And so I don't know how we right. still stay at them low numbers, right? <laughs> I guess when you let other people count you, that's the way it is. But back then, we had um, like 12% of the population here in the city, but 64% of the victims were African-American women. And it just hurt my heart, you know? It just hurt my heart. And it's like, what are we doing as brothers that, and, and I don't know who, you know, I can't say, but I, I, I guess majority of the perpetrators were brothers. And so, and I don't know where those numbers come from other than they reporting them because everybody don't report domestic violence. But I know the numbers mm-hmm. said 64. like seven or 64.9 of the victims were African-American women. And so that just uh, really sparked me to really find out what we could do to help out because that's what we're about, family. And it's not just the perpetrator and, and, and the victim, the wife and the husband or the boyfriend, girl, it's the children, too, because, you know, the one thing I learned in substance use disorder, the children, a lot of times they love their parents regardless, you know, because that's who their parents are. And on the outside, you look and go, wow, they was getting high with the kids in the room or doing this and doing that or didn't pay for the kids going to school. But the kids still love them because that's who they know are their parents. That's that's what they're exposed to. And so when they grow up, they pick up a lot of those kind of things because they don't see it as wrong. You know, it's normal. And so and, and, you, and, you, and there's a point to that, because I have learned in this business you know, that a lot of times our bias system says right and wrong when really it's more just different, if you know what I mean. It doesn't necessarily mean one's right and one's wrong. They're just different. And uh, when you're dealing with folks, you got to try to reach them to find out what is normal for them and then operate from where they are, which is what I love about APDS. That's what Dr. Kelsey instilled in us is to meet people where they are and work from there. Don't be so judgmental or no relapse on substance use disorder. Um, okay. So so did that help you out right there? Now, the summer camp is a little different. I can tell you about that. We go um, 6 yeah, to 12-year-olds. No, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. We go 6- to 12-year-olds, and we usually try to do – now, this year was different because of COVID, of course – but when we normally would try to do 120, next year we'll do 100. And we typically have, like when we do 120, we have 90 people who are below the $250 poverty level and 30 people who are above. And we just try to mix those folks. And we would uh, ask breakfast, lunch, and a snack. And if you use, we used to do field trips every week or every other week. We do academics in the morning. In the afternoon, we do doing uh, – Everything from martial arts to African dance, aeroponics, cooking, uh, debate team, um, sewing. I mean, just a little bit of everything. Tap dance, all of them. So we got quite a bit that goes on for that. I I think it's the best camp around. Of course, I'm biased, but we have uh, Tony Walker, who is our – well, I'm biased because Tony Walker is our our director, and she is just awesome. And then they are art instructor. She just a bomb. I mean, we just got some bomb people working in the camp. It's not because of me. It's because awesome. of this. Yeah, we got some bomb people that's in there doing some good things and uh, and some great kids. So you're exposing them to other things out that they would have might not have an opportunity to really do during the yep. summertime. So you're exposing yep. them to different things. Yep. Yeah, and the harmful effects process. of substance abuse and violence. 
And we hope that they will talk to their peers, brothers and sisters, classrooms, and encourage them to talk to other people about it. And so usually, and I, I haven't the last couple of years, but it used to be when I would talk to the parents at the parent meeting at the beginning, I would tell them, don't get upset when your child comes home and tell you quit drinking beer and smoking cigarettes. Because that's what they want to getting here. So, so just know that ahead of time if you don't want them doing that. Well, it looks like our time has run out. If you'd like more information on APDS, please contact 614-253-4448. Please join us next Wednesday for part two for more on APDS and our conversation with Mr. Jerry Saunders Sr. Thank you and peace out. The Faith Thomas Foundation would like to thank you for listening to The Cell. We broadcast on WGRN 94.1 FM every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. You can also stream us live on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. on WGRN 94.1. For more information on the Faith Thomas Foundation, please visit our website, Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is FaithThomasFDN.